8, Matthew chapter 28. We're calling this Vision Sunday because we are talking about what God wants to do in our lives as believers. And I, I love the day we live in because not only can you get a call on your phone, not only can you get a text, but you can get sent a picture. Who likes to get pictures sent on their phone? I think it's so amazing. And I get all kinds of pictures. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. And so here's some of the pictures uh, that I've gotten. Here's, a, here's one of our staff that was sent to me. And uh, I think it's pretty funny. Um, you, sometimes people ask how our staff can do so much. Well, it's actually, here's the secret. They're Jedis in disguise as a church staff. Um, here's one I got from my mother uh, telling me to welcome the newest member of the Herber family. Uh, she sent me this. This is what happens when you grow up on a ranch in Texas. So I uh, get sent a picture of a huge new bull. And um, here's one that I was sent last week after the sermon on Sunday uh, that I did. If, if you were there, you might remember this one right here. That was me in a sumo suit trying to illustrate what it's like to be in Christ. Anybody remember that illustration? And, uh, but here was the, the impacting one from last weekend. Someone sent me this, and it just absolutely melted my heart. This is from a life group party uh, that happened on Saturday, and it's from our, our single mom's life group. And these women were in the last service. It was really touching. So uh, I was also sent the story on. Um, my far left is Huri. And Huri grew up in Iran as a, a Muslim, moved to the United States, uh, joined the military, served our country uh, in combat, but uh, got married, found Jesus, but had a, a really hard, challenging divorce. And so um, God started touching her heart and someone brought her to this church, and she's just gotten on fire. She's been on fire for the Lord. And Huri uh, had an interesting experience. The um, woman that she's baptizing, uh, she didn't know her just a few weeks ago. They were actually were uh, acquainted with each other because they got in a Facebook debate. Uh, God works in mysterious ways, right? Um, I know usually everything that people say on Facebook is very encouraging. Uh, <laughs> But she said something. This woman that was a complete stranger started debating her. Who re responds by saying, hey, God loves you, and I'll pray for you. The woman was so touched that someone in an argument with her would say that she'd pray for her, that she asked her if she went to church. Who said yes, invited her to church. Mary, who she's baptizing, came and gave her life to Jesus. Hello. So... Uh, then, um, then the woman next to her being baptized, uh, she's from a different country. She's uh, Ramun from Lithuania. She had also gone through a real challenging circumstance, but was invited, gave her life to Jesus, and they said, we can't wait to get baptized. And so here they are at a life group party being baptized by their friends. Isn't that awesome? And so this picture just personifies our vision, which is get rocked, get real, Give it away. Get rocked by God. Get real in community and give it away to the world around you. But this also personifies this powerful chapter that we're going to study today, Matthew chapter 28. If you're taking notes, which I always encourage you to do that because you'll remember what you write down, Matthew 28 is important in Scripture because it's where we find the Great Commission. Say Great Commission. 
The Great Commission is Jesus' charge to us of what he wants us to live out as his followers. And the beginning of Matthew 28, though, doesn't start as this epic, exciting, powerful scripture. It actually starts in a more somber place. And we're going to start by reading in Matthew 28, verse 1. It says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So here's the situation. Mary Magdalene, a woman who had had many challenges, what we know from Scripture is that she was demonically afflicted. She was a woman who was demonized. Many scholars believe that she was a, a, a woman with a really bad reputation, possibly a prostitute. But she had been real and come to Jesus and gotten changed by him. Mary of Bethany, who's the other Mary in the Scripture, there are lots of Marys in, in Scripture, but this was a young woman, and we believe from Mark 14 and John chapter 12 that she was actually a woman who was orphaned. She had lost both her parents. She had grown up in her brother's home. Uh, her brother was Lazarus. She had lost him for a few days, and then he came back to life. But she had had a challenging situation. And they're in this sobering time where the one who they put their trust in is the Messiah, Jesus, has now been crucified and is dead. So their hope of having a new life, they think that it's, it's crumbled up and withered away. And so they're going to visit the tomb. You know, I find that oftentimes we meet Jesus in our most broken times. So if you've come to church today and you're in a challenging time, you're in a, in a time of shattered dreams, in a time of brokenness or pain, can I just tell you that Jesus loves to work with those kind of people? And let's read on. It says this, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Can I just tell you that sometimes God works in very startling ways? It's not always just a green pasture and a still water. Sometimes things get shaken up. Sometimes it's in crisis. It says this, an angel came down from heaven going to the tomb. He rolled back the stone and sat on it. This is the ultimate version of getting rocked. Right? The angel's actually moving a big rock out of the way. The angel sits on it. And then it says this, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and become like dead men. The power of God can bring the toughest person to their knees. Verse 5 says this, The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Can I just tell you, church, that we serve a risen Lord and Savior. Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins, but he rose from the dead, defeating the power of death. And so the angel speaks this. It says, then go, oh, he says, come and see the place where he lay. He was proving it to them. Then he says, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. This is giving it away. So these women were real with their pain when they came to Jesus. They got rocked by this power encounter, and now they're told, give it away, because it's not enough for you to be touched, for you to see Jesus. He wants you to take that to your friends and your family. And so they go on. It says this, that they were filled with joy, and they're afraid, and they ran to tell his disciples, suddenly Jesus, I love that phrase, suddenly Jesus met them. Oh, don't you want to just meet Jesus? 
Don't you want to encounter him? That's what this church is all about. We're people that are in love with Jesus. I can't, I just love to picture that. We're talking about pictures worth a thousand words. I mean, can you just picture walking on the road and seeing Jesus, those eyes of compassion, that smile, that face glowing with warmth and love. And so what do they do? It says they, they, they fall and they clasp his feet and worship him. It says that suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. That Greek word means hi. <laughs> or hey. Jesus says hi. They fall down and they grab his feet. I mean, don't you want to just hold on to Jesus? He's so personal. He's so near. He's so loving. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Get rocked. Get real. Give it away. I love that our, our, our children can say this phrase. It's so simple, but this is what happens to a person in the New Testament when they really encounter God. But I've had people through the years say now, but pastor, how do I actually go through this journey of getting rock, getting real, giving it away? And I would pray morning after morning for our church. And I love how the Holy Spirit just puts things into our head because one morning as I'm praying for our church, these five D's come to mind. These five D's on our, our, our growth journey, we can put that up. I was praying one morning and I just was praying, Lord, I pray that every person that comes through would make a decision to know you. And then, Lord, I'm praying that they would go from that to being baptized, to getting dunked, and then they would be delivered from their afflictions and they would be discipled and they would be deployed. And I, I was just using that as, as a prayer time and I started sharing that with our staff and we said, you know what, we've got to put that in front of people because this is the journey that a person goes through when they meet God and get completely transformed by his goodness and love. Where are you on this journey today? We skip now to verse 16, where we actually address the, the great commission, this charge from Jesus. It says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. At times, people can ask the question, What does God want from me? What does God expect from me? What am I supposed to do with my life? Can I just tell you, I can tell you right now the will of God for you. And it's this, the Great Commission. You need to look no further than Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. This is his plan for you. But we so clearly see this path of transformation. It starts with decision. Say decision. Now, this breaks my heart because so many people can sit in church their whole life and, and never make a, deci a decision. Can I just tell you this? This whole journey of faith begins with you deciding, will I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior and my Lord? What do I mean by this? You have to come to a place where you say, who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust me or am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust me to save myself? Because we all have this problem, right? It's a sin problem. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is sin? Sin means to miss the mark. Sin means to do things that are wrong. And we could go person by person through this room and none of us could claim to be without sin. 
The Bible goes on to give us some bad news. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and then proceeds to tell us that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to pay for our sin. Eternal judgment in a place called hell. It's really bad news. Now, the great news is this, that God loves us too much to let people go to hell. So that's why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus because Jesus died on the cross in our place. The Bible says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin. The Bible says this, that he was raised from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death. God wants no one to go to hell. The Bible says this is good and pleases God who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But the decision's yours. He doesn't force it on you. So we have to decide whether I'm gonna try to save myself, which is fruitless, by the way, because no one can do it, or I'm gonna receive the free gift of Jesus. I'm gonna let him wash me clean. I'm gonna let him come inside my heart and let me be born again. Am I gonna make Jesus my savior? Am I gonna make Jesus my Lord? What does that mean? It means I hop out of the driver's seat of my life and he sits in the driver's seat, right? And Jesus takes the wheel. That's a great theological song right there. <laughs> Not just the wheel, he takes the accelerator. He takes the brake. I go where he wants to go. Have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? If you have, you're guaranteed to spend eternity with him. The Bible just says this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's a decision. Now, the second D is dunked. Say dunked. This is our colloquial way of saying baptized, but I love it because it actually speaks of someone going underwater because there's all different th types of thoughts on what baptism is. But in the Bible, baptism was actually someone going underwater and it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the old life being buried and the new life being raised to walk with Jesus. What I don't like in, in, in a lot of American churches, unfortunately, is we make people jump through all these hoops before they can be baptized. They have to go to this class, this class, this class, fill out this worksheet, meet with this pastor. Can I just tell you, in the Bible, the disciples would say, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And on the same day they get saved, they get baptized. Like read the book of Acts over and over and over again. It's not for celebrities. It's not for the, the, the Christians that have reached some certain level of maturity. No, it, it, it's for anyone. And so let's show this picture. These guys uh, this is in Bali this summer on this mission trip. These are what I call Balinesian bad boys. And this is Matt Kirk, one of our leaders. You can put the picture down so you'll focus on me. And uh, <laughs> these guys came up to me on the beach and, and they said, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, well, we're, we're working with children. These children are being exploited. They're being molested. We're here to tell them God loves them. We're here to give them some great opportunities to play games and enjoy being kids. They look at me and go, okay, then you'll, you're going to be okay. And I was like, wait, was I not going to be okay? <laughs> uh, what's going on? And, and, and so we started talking to them about Jesus. And they said, well, we have this question. We've been bad. Can Jesus really forgive me? And I, I smiled and said, do you think that your bad is stronger than God's good? Can I just ask you that question today? 
Some people think, oh, I could never be forgiven. You don't know how many bad things I've done. And I'd say, man, that's being pretty prideful. You think your bad is more powerful than the God of the universe, what he did on the cross for you? There's no one that can't be saved. And so we told the guys about the free gift of salvation, how they could accept Jesus into their heart. And it wasn't a religion that he'd actually come and make his home in their life. And right there, they prayed and gave their life to Jesus. It was beautiful. Well, two days later, we're meeting with them and we opened the Bible to Acts 2.38 where it says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He said, what do you think you should do? They said, we should be baptized. I said, well, there's the ocean right there. We could just go right there. And so we walked down to the beach. But if you notice, I'm not in the picture because I said, I'm not gonna baptize you because by then they had found out I was a pastor. And, and there's this thought that like only pastors can baptize people. Can I just tell you that you can baptize people? So Matt takes Johnny, the first guy, and baptizes him and pulls him out of the water. And then Matt and Johnny baptize Julius, right? And then Julius and Johnny, Matt just steps out and goes, I'm not even going to do the third one because I want you guys to know that you're disciples of Jesus and you can baptize people because that's what the Bible says, right? And so they baptize the third guy. It was awesome. They, the, the, the third guy comes out of the water going, ah! <laughs> that's, that's what he did. It was so funny. You know why? Because there's joy in obeying Jesus. Can I just tell you, if you've never been baptized, well, first of all, if you've been baptized, just give me a, a wave right there. Okay, you can put your hands down. Look, all these guys survived. No, I, I, I find that sometimes people are like, man, I don't want to be baptized. Someone's going to hold me down. I, we, I promise we're not. We don't have the insurance policy to take risks like that. We're going to pull you up real fast. Uh, it, it's, just, it's a symbol. It's a symbol. You don't have to be perfect. It's just a symbol of showing, I am saying yes to Jesus. So the old Robert's dying and the new Robert is, is coming to life. And, and, and after that, are you going to make mistakes? Of course you are because you're in this discipleship process. But many people don't ever really know, am I saved? Because they never followed in the first step of obedience, which is baptism. So do it. Next week, we're having baptisms. And if you haven't been baptized or you're, let me say this, if you're only baptized as a baby. So people go, well, is that what this is? Well, it's actually not because the Bible talks about someone making the decision themselves. If you were baptized as a baby, it was just your parents' good intent to dedicate you to God. But that's not the baptism that Jesus was talking about. Right? And so get baptized as an adult. My wife got baptized as an adult. My mom got baptized at 35. It's... It, it, it is something for everyone. We're going to be doing that for children too. And guess what? You want someone in this church to baptize you? Just ask them, hey, will you be with me next week? And we'll, we'll do these baptisms. It's going to be awesome. Dunked. All right. The next D. Delivered. Say delivered, church. Delivered. Can we put the picture of the uh, three sets of guys on the Bali beach? Okay, this was my favorite picture I was sent all summer. And let me explain why. Picture's worth a thousand words. This is John, and this is Jared from All People San Diego. They're actually sitting on the front row in the last service, okay? This is Carlos, and this is Angel from All People's Tijuana. So All People San Diego, All People's Tijuana, and this is Johnny and Julius from our future All People's Bali, Indonesia three generations of churches, people in discipleship sitting right there. They're doing a discipleship group. Now, here's the story of Carlos, this, this second guy from the left. 
Carlos is walking down the boardwalk in Playa de Tijuana, in TJ. He's walking down. He's very discouraged. He's just got out of prison. His life is a mess. And one of our guys named Glenn Froming, he was in the last service sitting right over there, business guy, he was on the mission trip with us and just feels God putting Carlos on his heart. So he stops him. He goes, hey, hey, you, come here. God's after you. Guy's like, huh? Pulls him and says, hey, watch this drama. And Carlos just gets his heart totally touched by this outreach. Well, it's the first night we're having our first service of all people's Tijuana. So he invites him in. Carlos recommits his life to Jesus, right? He's the first person that ever got baptized, got dunked in the church. Glenn, Glenn baptizes him. Then they start meeting weekly. And Glenn starts praying with him for Carlos to get free from his bondages. That's called delivered. We need to pray with people. If you've been struggling, if you've been feeling afflicted, if you're dealing with uh, bondage, you're dealing with sin struggles, we start praying together so we can get delivered. That's why we have a freedom day. We have a day to really help you. We have a freedom team to meet with you. Everyone in our church, we pray that you go through freedom day so that you can walk in the freedom that Christ has provided for you. Carlos went through the freedom day in, in all people's Tijuana. And so here he goes from there to being on the beach on a mission trip in Indonesia. Absolutely amazing. And that brings us to the word discipled. Say discipled, church. Discipled. You know, how does a person get their life transformed? You know, people sit in church for years and never truly fall in love with Jesus and never truly get transformed. The reason why is they were never discipled. You know, this Faith was never just meant to be something we go to for an hour on a Sunday morning. And so how do people get discipled in our church? Through life groups. Say life group. Today, right after the service, we're having a life group fair. If you're not a part of one, now is the time to jump in. In the Bible, what we see is that church wasn't just a Sunday morning thing. That was something they did. It says they met in the temple, but it says they also met house to house. You know, you can come every Sunday and actually just... Maybe meet a few people, say hi, but never go deep with them. Do you know that you're supposed to walk in close relationships with brothers and sisters? Like the church actually re-families people. Some people in here, you had horrible family situations. And let me tell you, the people in this room aren't perfect, but they are people who love. And so we get re-familied. We learn to fellowship. We learn to pray. We learn to worship. We learn to carry each other's burdens. We learn to serve each other in the context of small group communities called life groups that meet house to house. This is church. Do you know that life groups is every bit as much church as what happens on a Sunday morning? Let me say that again. Do you know that life groups are every bit as much church as what happens on a Sunday morning? My life was changed by jumping into a small group in college and learning to really live my faith. And, and it's not just that. It's also meeting with someone that's a little more mature in your faith. Just like Carlos started meeting with Glenn Froming each week. And, and people go, well, I could never make disciples. Like, you don't you have to go to seminary school to do that? Don't you have to be a Christian for like 30 years? No. Can I just tell you, I see youth discipling younger youth. I see college students like crazy discipling people all over campus and, and young moms discipling other moms and, and, and business people discipling business people from, from kids, really, to senior citizens. It doesn't matter what age you are. One, one of my favorite stories, it, it doesn't matter what education you have. One, one of my favorite stories of a really on fire family in our church, I asked them, so how did you get involved? They said, we met a homeless guy. 
a homeless guy who was really struggling, but he just, he was so kind and loving, and he invited us to all peoples. And he brought us along to church. And, and that's how we, we got involved. Can I just tell you, I don't care what background you have, God can use you Amen. to help other people get transformed. One person said, discipleship is just one beggar showing another beggar where to get food. So you don't have to be a professional Christian. We, we just do three things in discipleship. We look up, we look in, and we look out. We look up, we look in, and look out. It's, it's so simple. Looking up, it's just teaching people how to connect with God. Just, this is a Bible. Don't start in Leviticus. <laughs> You'll be very confused. Start in John. John was Jesus' best friend. Jesus, he's the good guy. Satan, the bad guy. Right? That's discipleship. I'm serious. I can't tell you how many people we gave their first Bible to in this city. You know, our city, in this five-mile radius, 0.5% of people go to any kind of church. You think, well, I'm just not worthy. I don't have enough. I don't know enough. You know so much more. Then so many people, they don't, they've never even seen a Bible. This is a Bible. I, I, I can't tell you how many people I've handed them and said, this is a Bible. And they're like, uh, you know, I, you have what it takes. Look in. That's just sit down and say, hey, what's going on this week? Well, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm really just feeling, I felt like a loser all week. You know what? Let's look at the Bible. It says that we're conquerors in Christ. You know, you're a conquer in Christ. Say that with me. I'm a conquer in Christ. I'm a conquer in Christ. Whoa! You know, that's looking in. That's just helping people. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm thinking about embezzling a ton, ton of money on my taxes from the IRS. You say, I don't think you should do that. <laughs> that's discipleship. <laughs> wow. Look, look out, right? The, person, the person's totally discouraged and totally down. And you're like, hey, have you thought about serving someone else? And they're like, no, I'd never thought about that. Well, let's go serve someone else. You're serving someone else. You're like, this is great. That's discipleship, right? It's modeling serving. Hey, have you, have you thought about sharing Jesus with your neighbor that, that, that doesn't know him? That's discipleship. It's so easy. It's just you taking the little that you have and helping someone else. Philemon 6 says this. I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you would know every good thing you have in Christ. I find a lot of people feel very dry in their spiritual life, and the whole reason is because they're not giving it away. Just start giving the little you have away and see if you don't start coming alive in Jesus. Anyone experience this? Anyone experience this? Look at that. Discipled. The last one. Oh, and let me just tell you, a couple, couple of little helpful hints. We have a website uh, that Kindle, Kindle made for us, makedisciples.me. This gives you some lessons that you could, you, you go, Robert, I still, I know you said that, but I still don't know what to do. Just go to this website, open it up, and say, hey, let's sit down and just go through this together. You don't have to go up to someone and be like, you are now my young Padawan, right? And you show up in a, a robe with a, with a lightsaber. No, all it is, that's just, that's what my staff does, but not you. Um, no. <laughs> Totally kidding. It's so, just print out, print out a sheet or just go with your phone and, and just go through this. Or uh, I wrote a book on discipleship and this will give you a lot more background. It's 80 pages. It's really simple. It sells for $2 on Kindle. And the reason I have to sell it is because Kindle charges us $1.99. So I make one cent off of it. So uh, you won't be sending my kids to college, but it might help you in making disciples. Here's the last one, deployed. Say deployed. 
We're very familiar with this word in San Diego as we have over 100,000 military personnel in our awesome city. Being deployed means being sent on mission. And this is the call of every Christ follower, to go on mission with him. Many people aren't fulfilled in their Christian life, and the reason is because they're not on active duty. They're not actually deployed on mission with him. And so we do all kinds of things for fulfillment. You know, if I just could watch my favorite show on Netflix, that's going to fulfill me. You know, a Netflix binge will not fulfill you. Can I just tell you? You know, or, oh, if I, did, if I just had the perfect coffee, right? I just got my cappuccino, latte, frappa, macchiato, a chino, laata, snada, you know, whatever. <laughs> if I just, can I just tell you, it's never going to fulfill you, right? We were, can I tell you what's going to fulfill you is when you start walking in your God-given purpose, in your destiny, and that's being deployed with him. And how does that happen? It happens when you start being a missionary to your sector of society. I get really excited with that picture, that picture of, of Bali with these guys going to different nations. That's deployment. But can I tell you that we all need to live on mission, whether it's in Bali, whether it's downtown in an office building, whether it's in our school, our junior high, our high school, our college, whether that's in your neighborhood, we all need to live as missionaries for Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like walking across the street to your neighbor when you know they've had a loss and giving them cookies and saying, hey, I'm praying for you. That's the most radical thing you can do right? It, it, it looks like everyone's cheating on their test students, and you say, I'm not going to do that. People are like, man, why aren't you doing that? And you're like, hey, I just, I'm trying to follow God, right? It, it, it looks like seeing someone in the cubicle next to you that's totally broken because they're in a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend, you going over and just putting your arm around them and saying, hey, I'm so sorry that you're going through this hard time. I want to be here for you. And later on, they ask you, why are you so peaceful all the time? Why are you so stable? Our people get asked that all the time. You say, you know, it's because of Jesus. He changed my life. That's what deployment looks like. It looks like always looking for the opportunity to bring Jesus into a person's situation. Because when we bring Jesus in, he transforms lives. Now watch this. When we do these things, God gives us a promise. He says, I am with you always. Now, let me ask you, if you decide to get serious about this path of transformation, you get to decide to get serious about the Great Commission, is that when God starts loving you? No, of course not. You know that God loves everyone on the earth. You don't even have to make a decision. You don't even have to get saved for God to love you. Do you know that God so loved the world? God loves bad people. God loves people that are doing evil. Do you know that God loves you because you're his creation? But then you can make a decision, cross the line, and then you get adopted. And he's actually your father. God loves all people, but if you want him to actually be your father and you be his child and you be adopted, you make a decision and say, Jesus, come into my heart. And he puts a seal of adoption on you. And you become his child and you're dearly loved, right? And then he loves you, not because of what you do, but because you're his child. He loves you because you're his creation. He loves you because you're his child. But let me tell you the story. When I was uh, 
turning about 15 or 16, I, I needed to get my first job. And so I thought, I, you know, I'm going to go and sell frozen yogurt. I'm going to go and be a fro-yo guy. You know, that's what my friends were doing. And my dad said, Robert, why don't you come and, and work with me? And my grandfather had a car dealership, so my dad worked there as a, a customer service guy. And so I said, well, that's cool. Why don't I go work with my dad? And I remember going to work with my dad, and I'll never forget that he set me up with a desk right next to his. And he had a computer, and I had this computer. It was like one of those black screen with like a, a green letters and a flashing cursor. That's how old I am. It's like what computers were, none of this like touch screen stuff, right? And I remember sitting there and just typing, and I was so bad typing. I'm like, baby, you know? But I'll never forget the, the, the friendship and the fellowship I felt by doing dad's work next to dad. And we had these, I, I made some silly mistakes, but instead of just like harassing me, dad just laughed with me. We still have some inside jokes from that time. And then we'd take break at lunch and dad would take me with him to go get a hamburger, right? And, 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 and people would walk in and he'd introduce me, this is my son. And I was with him. You know, some of us feel stagnant in our faith or we're just like, hey, where is God? Can I just tell you that if you want to be close to your dad, go to work with him. You, you want to be with him, then go on the job with him. I'll never forget that. And can I just tell you, that is the thing I love most about doing the Great Commission. It's what I love about being on this journey is I get to be with my father. He says, I am with you always. And so I love, I mean, he's going to love you no matter what, but I, I love that, that I can actually be about his business, right? And I can actually, I, I love, yesterday we were moving a bed, and I, I love it when my, my kids get, my smallest kid's like holding the bed, right, under it. And he's like, hey, and that's how we often are when, when, when we're doing dad's business. But you know what? I love it. I love it when they join me. In the work, can I just tell you, God wants you to join him in the work so you can be with him always. I'm with you always until the end of the age. So let me finish this sermon by doing something you're not supposed to do in church, and that's making a prediction about the end times. <laughs> I can tell you when the end times are not coming. And that's today. There, I did it. And here's why. Some of you are going like, he didn't just do that. I did just do that. Here's why. Same book of the Bible, Matthew 28. Now let's go back to Matthew 24. The Bible says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. You look at the Greek for all nations and it's panta ethne, which means all people groups. So let me ask you this question. Has the Bible been translated into the language of every people group so that they can hear the proclamation of the gospel? And has a church been planted in all those people groups yet? No. So let me tell you what Jesus is not coming. He's not coming back today because the work has not been finished. But he calls us to take the gospel to all nations. Why? The most exciting part of it all is so that we can have him come back. Don't you want to see Jesus? Like, don't you want, wouldn't it be awesome if he came back to earth while we were alive? 
I mean, to see him, to see those eyes of love, to see that warmth in his face, to see love incarnate walk in, to actually run up and be able to clasp him ourselves. I can't think of anything more exciting to actually be with him in person. And then when he comes, he sets up his rule and reign, and there's no more disease, and no more sickness, and no more genocide, and no more rape, and no more molestation. And he comes, and he's the rightful ruler who establishes the kingdom as it should be, and love and righteousness and justice reign. Whew. Take a breath. Oh. Like, do you believe that? Like, do you believe the Bible? Like, the Bible actually talks about a real person named Jesus. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords who will return. And we get to play a little part in bringing him back. And that's why, church, we have all these pictures on the walls. It's not to creep you out by people staring at you during worship. It's so that we can be reminded that he cares about all peoples. And it's why we plant churches around the world. It's not because we love to travel so much and just eat funky food. It's because we actually want to proclaim his name to see the gospel permeate and transform society. That's why in two months our guys are going to plant in Moldova, the poorest country in Eastern Europe that leads the world in organ, illegal organ uh, taking and trafficking. That is demonic. But how do we change a country that's getting ravaged? By bringing the good news of Jesus. And he melts cold hearts and he transforms lives. That's why we're going to Indonesia next year, the largest Muslim nation where people are living in darkness. I just returned from there, and there are so many people without hope, but when they met Jesus, joy exploded in their hearts. That's why we're going to the Middle East where people have suffered, and there's pain, and there's war, and there's strife, but we're going to plant a church there next summer. It's why we're going to St. Paul, Minneapolis, so we can create another launching pad like All People San Diego to deploy more people to the nations. It's why we're going to Japan, one of the most unreached nations where suicide has ravaged a country, so we can take Jesus and say there is always hope. Right? That's why we do this, and, and you get to be a part of it. You get to be a part. How? By praying. How? By making a decision. By, by getting dunked. By getting delivered, discipled, deployed. And your friends and your family members will go to the nations of the world. And some of you will go to the nations of the world. And some of you will be here with me, transforming this nation to see the glory of God in our generation. And that's our church vision. Why don't you stand up? So let's finish by this. Would you put the, uh, the five Ds back up? I, I want you to look at this for a minute. And I want to ask you this question. Where, where are you today? Have you made a decision? Are you 100% sure that you've given your life to Jesus? If not, I want to pray with you. Have you been dunked? Have you, have you been baptized? If not, get baptized this next weekend. Don't wait any longer. Okay? Delivered. Have you been to a freedom day? Are you... Are you coming and, and walking out, out of your sin, out of your shame, out of your pain. Come forward today and get prayer from someone if that's you. Are you in a life group? Are you being discipled? Are you discipling others? Lastly, are you deployed? Are you seeing your neighborhood, your sports team, your school, your business as a mission field and living as a sent one? When we pray, close your eyes with me. Father, we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. We surrender our lives afresh to you today. I pray for grace for each person to take their next step. And 
Some of you, it's time. You know it is. You feel it in your heart. It's time to take that first step and make that decision. We've had numerous people in our other services doing that today. If you're not 100% sure that Jesus is living in your heart, if you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to go to heaven when you die because your sins are forgiven, I want you to pray this prayer right after me. Just say this right after me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising for me. Come into my life and make me new. I make you my Lord and Savior. While everyone has their eyes closed right now, if you're praying that prayer with me, I want to pray for you. I want to pray a prayer of sealing, a prayer of covering over you. If that's you right now, just look up at me and start waving. Just so I can see you all over this room, just wave at me. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Look up at me. Let me see you. Thank you. I see you. Who else? Just wave at me real quick. Who else? Thank you. I see you. Who else? Just wave at me. Make sure I see you. Make sure I make eye contact with you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, I just want to thank you for my friends that are praying and giving their lives to you today. Let's just celebrate that, church. We celebrate that today you're washing them clean. You're giving them a new life in you. We thank you that today is the day of their salvation. Can I have my prayer team come forward?